If you're new or, or visiting tonight, it's uh, good. For, it's good that you're here. And I should probably tell you that at Church by the Bridge, Blues Point Road, we tend to work through books of the Bible. We've been working through one Corinthians chapter by chapter, and that has uncovered some great gold. And then you get to one Corinthians eleven. And you realise that your name is against the preaching roster for that week. Um, it's a, a notoriously difficult passage to understand. Uh, people who have preached it have been uh, called chauvinist women haters. So I stand before you as a brave man. Um, why don't I pray for us and then we'll, we'll get stuck into it. Heavenly Father, we do praise you for your word. We praise you for uh, the difficult bits as well, the difficult things to understand and the difficult truths which you put before us. We pray, Lord, that this evening as we delve into 1 Corinthians 11, uh, we would delve deeply into your word, that we would find gold there and we would know the joy of living for Jesus and loving like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. I want to start by asking you a question. Um, When you look in the mirror, what do you see? What do you see? Most of you will probably think, oh, I just see Andy, I just see Emma. Do you see, uh, what kind of a person do you see? What kind of background do you see when you look in the mirror? What kind of social status do you see? Do you see a lawyer? Do you see a mum? Do you see an accountant? Uh, Do you see a few more grey hairs than you had this time last week. I know I certainly do. Um, 1 Corinthians 11, with all its trickery, uh, tricky bits, it says to us that the way we view ourselves affects our relationship with God and with each other as we gather as church. Specifically, we've got two uh, big issues here. Specifically, the way we view our gender in God's created world affects the way we view each other and the way we view our God and the way we view our status as God's saved people affects the way we view God and affects the way we view each other. Those are the two halves of the chapter, the bit about the head coverings and all that, we'll come to that in a minute, and the bit about the Lord's Supper. The head coverings relates to gender, the, uh, the, the Lord's Supper relates to our status in the world. And uh, the way that we see ourselves in the mirror in those terms uh, makes a big difference. It makes a big difference uh, uh, um, individually, but also as a church. It makes a difference as to whether we'll be a dream church or whether we'll be a disastrous church. Did you see uh, uh, 11 verse 2 that uh, Paul commends, he praises the Corinthians uh, because they keep the traditions, the tradition of the gospel. But 11 verse 7, he doesn't praise them. He says, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Do you see what he's saying? Their gatherings are better off if they didn't gather. Imagine what our church would be like if that was the case. Imagine the Elvanto reminder that you get on your phone. Uh, don't come to church tonight. It would be better off staying at home than coming together. You see, uh, their, their, their um, gatherings were becoming a disaster. The, uh, they've got this uh, warped view of gender and this warped view of their status. And Paul says, I do not praise you for that. Uh, they see... in um, 
They see the, uh, the, the they see in the mirror this uh, warped view of their gender and this warped view of their status. I heard a story this week of uh, two women who uh, were chatting. One was a, a black American lady, and she was chatting to her friend. And she asked her friend, uh, what, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? Well, her white friend said, well, I just see Julia, plain old Julia. Uh, why do you ask? What, what do you see? Well, the woman said, when I look in the mirror, I see a black lower class, middle-aged woman. And do you know why we see different things in the mirror? Uh, She said, because privilege is invisible to those who have it. Privilege is invisible to those who have it. And that's true, isn't it? Uh, We are very privileged here in Sydney. We can uh, look in the mirror and we can say, oh, there's Andy in the mirror. I don't put myself in a box uh, because we are privileged in the status we have uh, in our city. But as Christians, we can often be both of those people, can't we? We can um, be conscious of how the world sees us, what the world uh, sees in the mirror. And we can be invisible to the privilege that we have in Christ. Uh, Our world, uh, we do enjoy great privilege when it comes to gender and when it comes to status. Uh, We don't don't think that women are second-class citizens anymore like they did a hundred years ago. We don't have to fight for the vote. There, There are equal opportunities for both sexes. And when it comes to our status... Well, we live in the lucky country. We said this uh, before. We live in the lucky country. Uh, Part of Australia's DNA is that we can be anything or be anyone, whoever we are and whatever background uh, we were, whatever background we had. Well, that wasn't the case for Corinth, and that's what caused this warping of uh, self-image around gender and, uh, and status. It wasn't the case for Corinth because... If you were born as a female in first century Greco-Roman world, then you were definitely born as an inferior sex. Uh, girls were, baby girls were often left out in the streets uh, to be killed by wild animals uh, when a baby girl came along. That's horrific, isn't it? And when it came to status, if you were born uh, in the high class or if you were born in the lower class, that's where you stayed. There was no getting out of it. There was no working your way out of it. There was no lucky break. Uh, You stayed where you were born. Uh, Your gender mattered. Your status mattered. And so Paul writes this, 1 Corinthians 11. He writes to remind the Corinthians of the privilege of being in Christ. See, they would have been conscious of how the world viewed them. And Paul writes this and says, no, don't compensate for how the world sees your gender and how the world sees your status. Be confident of the privilege that you have in Christ, the privilege of the relationship that you have with your creator and the privilege uh, that you have in your social status. Now, Paul here, with all this head covering stuff, I wonder uh, whether you got angry when you heard 1 Corinthians 11 read out. I know I chatting to a few people this morning. When I heard it, I was like, did he really say that? Uh, yes, he did really say that. But I don't think 
he was saying exactly what hit our ears. You see, Paul was being radical with these uh, comments on men and women. He was being completely radical. If you were uh, born a second-class citizen, then when Paul is saying, no, you're elevated in Christ. You're no longer under that class system of male and females. Do you see um, in verse uh, 4 who, who prays and prophesies? The man. And in verse 5, who prays and prophesies? A woman. Now that is radical. Forget Jermaine Greer. Paul was this uh, lefty feminist, really, because uh, he, he was saying, because of Christ, now women have full participation in the church of Christ. I know we take that for granted, but this was radical. When 1 Corinthians 11 hit the, hit the ears of the original readers, they would have been going, wow, this is amazing. So Paul writes so that his readers would be shaped by the privilege that they have in Christ. And so what we need to do now is do a bit of work so that we will be shaped by the, the privilege that we have in Christ. Our situation is, is quite different to first century Corinth. So we need to do a bit of work. But I want us to see two big points from these two halves of this chapter. Uh, and the first point is this, that I want us to see uh, the privilege of knowing our creator, the privilege of knowing our creator. Uh, now I should say, if you're not a Christian here this evening, um, then you will think this is crazy, that all of this stuff is straight out of Victorian England, there's 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, but what I want you to see is that we don't talk about gender and uh, women's issues and men's issues week in, week out. We're not uh, fanatical about that. We're crazy about Jesus. Uh, that we, we, We're passionate and crazy about him. So that's what I want you to see if you're not a Christian. So first point, I want us all to see the privilege of knowing our creator. Now that's verses 2 to 16. Now I wonder whether you noticed, you probably did notice, it's pretty obvious, all of this stuff about head coverings. Uh, Did you see that in uh, verses 4 and verses 7? A man is to have his head covered. Verse 4, every man who prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head. So he's to have his head uncovered. Uh, For the woman, verse 5 and verse 10, she is to have her head covered. Uh, Verse 5, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovers, dishonors her head. Now what Paul is painting here is not a a picture for some new hipster hairdressing salon or or some kind of crazy hat shop. What he's painting is a picture of gender chaos. He's painting this picture of gender chaos in the Corinthian church. Uh, Because for a man to have his head covered in church, in a religious setting, or in a Christian setting, in the church of God, is to align himself with the pagan worship of the day. So it's a bit like if I came in here tonight and put an imam hat on my head. You'd be like, what's going on? Has Andy become a Muslim? It's a bit like that. Uh, that this, uh, that the, for a man to cover his head is to, to be aligned with the pagan worship of the day. And for a woman to have her head um, uncovered, well that was a radical and, and that was gossip worthy. Because it said if you had your head uncovered, uh, that you were 
if you're a married woman, it was saying, I'm unmarried. And if you were an unmarried woman, it was basically saying, I'm shocking. So it's the equivalent of, do you, do you have that expression here? <laughs> That's a funny expression. Uh, you're, you're sexually available. So for a married woman to walk into a church with her head uncovered, that is to say, I'm on the market. I'm up for a new lover. I'm sexually available. And the same goes uh, for the singles as well. Uh, the, 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 the term man and woman in our passage here can be translated husband or wife or man and woman. Our Holman has gone for man and woman. I think it kind of relates to both. Because what Paul is doing in all of this gender chaos that is happening in 1 Corinthians... He's trying to, assert, uh, trying to assert the order of creation. Did you notice uh, the, uh, um, verse, uh, sorry, verse 3? Um, he's saying that he's trying to assert the order of, order of creation. So he's saying an order that is mirrored in the relationship of the Trinity between God and Jesus and the Spirit, which isn't mentioned here. Uh, uh, and in verse um, down in verse 8... He's saying this order is mirrored in God's intended created order. So verse 3. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man. And the man is the head of the woman. And God is the head of Christ. Uh, What he's saying here is not uh, what our ears immediately hear. that, That women are inferior to men. He's not saying that. Don't hear me as a chauvinist. Don't chuck cheese biscuits at me halfway through the talk. He's not saying that. He's saying uh, the opposite. He's saying that, that both genders have this unique relationship in God's intended creative order. So man, well, he, his head is Christ and a woman, her head is is a man. He's not saying uh, you are least important. The word for uh, the, this word head here is describing um, leadership and authority, and not the bad authority that we know. You know, we've always all, all had bad bosses or bad uh, parents or bad teachers. But what he's describing here is a, a beautiful picture of Christ and God in this beautiful leadership hierarchy relationship and he says that is mirrored in the created order so women are not uh, women are not uh, uh, second class citizens to men he's saying the opposite Uh, you have a bona fide place in the creation structure along with every human being uh, along with every human being Uh, verse 8 he says uh, for man did not come from woman but woman came from Man, he's saying that God created all both of us in His image. He's created us equal, but He's created us different. And that is quite radical, isn't it? In uh, our world, our world knows that men and women are equal, but our world is losing sight of men and women being different. Um, uh, Charlie, I think, or was it Tara, pointed out in our Bible study on Wednesday evening that Facebook now has 58 different gender options when you sign up for a Facebook profile. 
I watched a video last week of an American guy going around university students uh, saying, um, saying to university students, I am a Chinese woman. And, they were, uh, and, and he was filming their reaction. And every one of them was saying, well, if that's who you think you are, that's who you think you are, then you are a Chinese woman. And he was doing it to set them up to show them how ridiculous uh, that is. You see, our world says that we define our gender and that there is no distinction between the genders. I'm conscious that there are, uh, there, are, there are people who are born intersex, there are people born with different issues. About 1% of the surveys reckon. We need to be sensitive to those people. If, if people with those issues, if there are people here with, with uh, gender issues, then uh, you are very much loved. We love you, you are part of us, we are one in Christ. Uh, but what Paul wants from his readers is that in the church that we see that men and women are equal but different. Equal but different. Now that is a, a, a weird thing, isn't it? That is a weird thing that, that the world would be offended at if we said that. But Paul puts here, says that we are equal but different. I want to um, just underline um, that he's not saying that women are inferior to men. Just have a look at verse 11. I really uh, I love, um, I love this verse. In the Lord, however, uh, woman is not independent of man, and man is not independent of woman. It's a beautiful verse, isn't it, of this uh, harmony that God has created in creation so that we can co- coexist, this mutuality of, uh, of men and women needing each other. And that goes... Um, we see that in marriage. Ephesians 5 talks about uh, the mutuality and the, uh, the, the, the created order in marriage. But it also is hardwired into creation and in our church. We, there is a mutuality between the relationships between blokes and women that exists and it is beautiful. Now, Paul is saying here that we need each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We need each other. Uh, because God has created us equal and different. I've just been thinking around uh, the, the, the women who are in my life. Obviously, I'm married to, to Kim, but I work alongside uh, some beautiful women uh, who are godly and awesome and do stuff that I can't do, and I can do stuff that they can't do. Now, not, we're not inferior to each other. There is not someone who is better or worse. God has just wired us differently to do different things And it is a beautiful picture that reflects the beauty of the Godhead there uh, there in verse 5. And and and, and, uh, reflects the beauty of creation uh, which is there there in verse 12. Now, um, I should apply this, but I'm going to pull back from applying it and, and laying down what we should and shouldn't do and get you to ask the question to yourself with your friends uh, perhaps in Hive Group on Wednesday or Tuesday night ask yourself how does your gender so how does your gender shape the way you do your Christian life how does the fact that you are created in the image of God equal but different to the opposite sex uh, with a with a head who is with a head who is under God, how does that change the way 
you do your, your Christian life. I've been thinking about it for myself. Uh, what does it mean for me to be the head of uh, my wife, Kim? What does it mean for me to lead her? Uh, well, it means that I take the front foot, that I make sure that I do lead, that I don't do what I instinctively like to do, which is take the back seat and let Kim do all the good, the, the, to, to do all the teaching of our kids and doing the doing doing everything, really. She's amazing. My wife is amazing, much better than I am at most things. But my job as a man is to lead our family, to lead my wife. And I wonder how that, if you're married here, I wonder how that would work out in your marriage. Um, for, us, for those of us who aren't married, and, and everyone really, how does that work out in, ch- in a church setting? How can we be uh, the men of church? How can we be, how can we uh, uh, value and hold our sisters in Christ precious? How can we lead and, and be the guys? I'm not going to give us answers, but I want us to think about how we might do that and what we need to do different. Uh, for uh, the women, I want to say relax and, and know your status in Christ and treasure that above all things. We live at uh, this side of two, re- uh, two revolutions. We had the suffragette revolution. We had the uh, sexual revolution in the 1960s. And that has uh, left women, I think, Exhausted by and large, the world says you've got to do everything. Uh, that you've got to uh, do all of these things, and I think uh, I see the pressure on uh, my wife. I see the pressure on the women I know, and I want to say, uh, relax and know your state in Christ. Know what you have as you know your Creator. Know the order of things and relax. And be confident in your status in Christ. Don't feel pressured by the world. Don't feel the pressured by the world's view of gender. But be pressured by your status in Christ. And know that you are completely secure. Uh, infinitely loved. And that God has created you uh, to, for a purpose. I want us to just open that and have that as a dialogue. We're not going to labour that any further. But we are privileged to know our creator and that should shape the way that we pray and prophesy the way that we do church here and second thing the second privilege uh, Paul wants us to see is the privilege of knowing our saviour the passage in verse 17 moves the chapter from from verse 17 moves uh, from chaos between genders to chaos between classes uh, that's verses 17 to the end of the chapter. And I wonder, whether you, uh, I wonder whether you picked up on the chaos that was going on. Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper, remembering Christ's sacrificial death. And what he's saying here is what's going on is a bit like Balmoral Beach on Christmas Day. Have you ever been to Balmoral Beach? I went for the first time in the afternoon last year. And uh, everyone fights for the big picnic spots, don't they? Have you, you've seen it? They all go for the tables. Uh, we, we saw a friend there who was at, a, um, at one of the prime, it must have been the prime picnic spot 
champagne barrel. It had shade. It had a beautiful table. It had the, 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 the barbecue near it. And I said, how did you get that spot? And they said, we came here at 5 a.m. <laughs> and they got there at 5 and sent someone down. And they got their Christmas Day Balmoral spot. Well, what is happening here in Corinth is a bit like that. Um, let me read, um, uh, let me read uh, uh, verse... Uh, verse 21 uh, let me so, so verse um, sorry uh, so, so verse, verse 19 we learn there are factions and then uh, verse 21 we see the Balmoral effect that's going on here so for at the meal each one eats his own supper ahead of others so one person is hungry while another gets drunk. So uh, they don't do the Lord's Supper like we do. You know when we, we like, with the little, uh, little cups and the bit of bread, I think it's hilarious that we walk around like this uh, little rat. They had a proper dinner. They broke big hunks of bread. They drank. They had goblets of wine uh, to remember the Lord's death. But what the Corinthian church was doing is that they were turning in, into Balmoral Beach and the privileged people, the people of high-born status uh, were getting in there first and the poor people the the people who uh, were at work um, I don't know, fixing shoes, cleaning and that kind of thing, the poor people of lower status birth well they were at work, so what did the poor people do? they didn't wait, Uh, what did the rich people do? they didn't uh, wait for their poor brothers and sisters to come along, they just got stuck in so one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Uh, this was a chaotic church. Uh, the Lord's Supper uh, that was meant to represent and remember that God has saved sinners had turned into a who's best, Balmoral Beach on Christmas Day kind of affair. And I wonder whether you see the tragedy of that. Just look what the, uh, the Lord's Supper proclaims. Uh, uh, verse 24 this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me verse 25 this is the new covenant the cup this cup is the new covenant established by my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me uh, the, the supper signifies that Christ has rescued us What are we outside of Christ? We are nothing. We are sinners headed for hell. We are sinners under the judgment of God. People who don't deserve to know God. And the Corinthians were saying, well, no, we are something. We are the rich, they're the poor, we'll get on with it. That is the tragedy here. That in Christ we are all equal. If the first half of the chapter uh, was about being equal but different, this half of the chapter is about saying we are different but equal. You see, there is no uh, classes in the the church of the saved. There is no uh, man and woman in the church of the saved. We are all one in Christ because we are equally undeserving of a place in God's book of life. There were divisions, there were factions. Uh, But Paul says there is a strict 
there's a, a harsh warning for those who would not recognize that they are sinners saved by grace. Verse 29, he says, For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Verse 30, this is why many are sick and ill among you. I like to think that they got food poisoning. The people who were scoffing their stomachs and getting drunk uh, while the people of lower birth. But what it says here is that, that if we don't recognize what Christ has done for us, if we reject the beautiful, saviour, sacrificial, purposeful death that Christ has died for us, then I think we, we remain under God's judgment. Seeing ourselves in Christ as his treasured possession is vitally important. Sin is saved by grace. And seeing each other as equally sinful sinners saved by grace is crucially important. And that will transform our lives. That will transform how we see ourselves in the mirror. We won't see a lawyer, a banker, a mother, a father, a single person, a married person. We will see ourselves as sinners saved by the blood of Christ. We will see ourselves as the undeserving who Christ gave his body for. We will see ourselves as the people who, verse 26, wait for the Christ to come, to rescue us, to bring us into his presence so that we would know eternity in a perfect world forever. That's what God has done for us. It's the perfect leveller. He has taken us from the pits and made us VIPs, each and every single one of us. It's a great privilege that we enjoy. We don't need to wear hats in church. We don't need to come with our heads covered. But we need to know Christ as our head, who is our saviour. We don't need to show off in front of each other. Because we are all equal in Christ. And that is a wonderful privilege that should shape the whole of our lives. Let's pray.